episode number 29. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Elio Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. This week we have a holiday edition on Yom Kippur. Welcome to God's World a powerful parable about a healthy life of devotion, a great story about the Chafetz Chaim, a will for himself, and peace in your home, stigmas, and subjectivity. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. I want to speak about Yom Kippur, and I'm going to bring a lot of things from Rev Shimshon Pincus. So he explains that Yom Kippur is really just one holiday within a unit of four holidays. We have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shmini Atzeres, or what we call Simchas Torah. And these four holidays are a unit that work together. The question is, where are these four holidays taking us? What's the destination of these holidays? What are we supposed to gain from these holidays? How are we going to feel different after the holidays? So we know the holidays conclude with Sukkot and Simchas Torah. And what happened during this period? One thing that was happening was called the Simchas Beit Shoeva. This is a time where they used to draw water over the Mizbech. And there used to be tremendous happiness at this time. The Gemara says, someone who never saw the Simchus Beit Shoeve, never saw happiness in his life. So what's the word Shoev? Shoev means to draw. So Chazal learns out, Shoev, draw out, draw out what? Draw out Ruach HaKodesh. At this point in time, the Jews were able to reach a level of happiness that it would give them Ruach HaKodesh, Nevoa, prophecy. A tremendous devakis, connection to the creator of the universe. It was like standing next to a spring of water where you were able to just draw the water out simply and easily. It was easy to be close to the Creator, and you felt it. The Pasuk Inishial says, And you shall draw water in gladness. After all the work we did on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we become very close to God. And it's very easy to feel close to Him as to get the Simcha and even reach levels of Ruach HaKodesh, a spiritual experience of a very high level. So we know that during the year, it's very difficult to reach high levels of spirituality. Just sit in front of a Gemara with blood, sweat, and tears, work hard in learning or davening, open a siddur, difficult to daven. But this time of year, after all the hard work we did, our Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the gates of heaven open up for us. And this is the goal and the end of all the holidays. The question is, what do we need to do now before Yom Kippur to get to these levels? We need to do the work now that later we have the Siyat Deshmaya, the help from heaven. So we think about doing tshuva, we think about repenting, and we think about certain particulars in our life. We have to change this detail and that detail. Sometimes a guy has a hard time getting out of bed. Sometimes a guy can't sit and learn. People have a hard time davening. So we think about changing these things. But what happens? Every year we think about changing them. At the end of the year, nothing changed. But really, it's not right. It's not okay that for 30 years, a person doesn't get up for the minion on time. Or for 30 years, a person doesn't daven properly. Really, we have to take it into our hands and do a real change. Do something about it. And the truth is, if we do do something about it, we're going to get to very high levels when we get to Simchas Torah, when we get to Sukkot. The payoff is going to be great. It'll be like opening a faucet and a whole gush of water is going to come out. So it's worth it to do the work now. So we know that the work is focused on accepting God's kingship, accepting God as the king. That's what we do on Rosh Hashanah, and that's the tshuva we need to do for Yom Kippur, that it becomes real to us. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, Make me a king over you, so that your remembrance shall be a send for the good. And how? Through the shofar. When we blow the shofar, 
that is the wake-up call that we should become servants to the king. God is the king. He's the one running the world, and we have to serve him. But it's not a negative thing that we're servants. Chazal tells us, the Yalkut Shmoni says, the servant of a king is a king. God's going to bring us into his house, into his world. Those who serve God are on the highest level of humanity. The servant of a king is a king. So the question is, how do we accept this all Malchus Shemayim upon ourselves? How do we accept God's kingship upon ourselves? So in Judaism, really, there is a microcosm to Rosh Hashanah. What? Shabbos. Shabbos is the seventh day of the week, and it's symbolized by the aspect of Malchus, which is God's kingship. And Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the seventh month. So there's a connection between the two. The Gemara in Shabbos tells us that anyone who takes on the, in the delights of Shabbos will merit an unbounded estate. He'll have tremendous blessing, Makor HaBracha. We know Shabbos is the Makor HaBracha, the source of all blessing. So too, Rosh Hashanah, which is the seventh month, it's the beginning, it's the source of all blessings for the entire year. And Shabbos is the source of blessings for the entire week. But Rav Pinchas explains that even though we do have tremendous honor for the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we're lacking in the honor of Shabbos. He says, like the less religious people, they come to shul on Yom Kippur, on Rosh Hashanah, they sit in the back, they don't really know what's going on. He says, we're like that when it comes to Shabbos. We don't really appreciate the Shabbos davening and the blessings that are coming into the world on Shabbos. So we see that Rosh Hashanah and Shabbos are intertwined. They're two similar concepts. I want to expand on this. The Gemara in Brachos 58a says like this, The kingdom of heaven resembles the kingdom on earth. Which means what? What we see in the world, when we see a kingdom, that's similar to the kingdom in heaven. There are many kingdoms in the history of the world. You had the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Midian kingdom, and each one had its own culture. Not only that, the Rambam says, but the king himself is an influence on the entire kingdom. In other words, the kingdom goes after the king. But each king in each kingdom is different. Each nation is different. For example, Chinese people, you see a person who's Chinese, you see, you can see on him that he's from the Chinese nation. An American you see as an American, a French is in a French. And a Jew should be in the Jewish kingdom. What does it mean to be in the Jewish kingdom? So each kingdom has its own way of thinking, its own food, its own language, its own clothes, its own personality type. And we see that in the world. When you travel from Germany into Italy, you go down through Austria, you see the change. These are German people, and these are Italian people. Their own food, clothes, way of talking, language, styles. There's a difference in each kingdom. But not only that, if you go to the government, government offices, if you go into the castles of each kingdom, it's emphasized even more. It's like a country within a country. The culture is emphasized within the castle. The dress code is even more special. The way the castle looks is even more unique to its special kingdom. And that's because inside the castle, you're really standing close to the king. So the people within the castle are representing the king. The government represents the king. The whole world knows this. There was a case uh, in the last Olympics, I believe, that one of the Chinese representatives, one of the Chinese athletes came without a tie to the, to the, and he won. They disqualified him. He came without a tie. Why he represented the Chinese people. He came without a tie. So they disqualified him. The world understands that the country is represented by the etiquette and the clothes and the food of its country. So now imagine if we would go to the temple, the base of Migdash when it was built. We would see the representation of God's kingdom here on earth. Imagine the beauty, the grandeur. We'd see the pure Kohanim with their pure faces 
and the korbanos, the sacrifice being brought, and all the tahara, everything had to be, but tahara, but kedusha, impurity. If there wasn't purity in the base of Migdash, people would be chayev koras, they would be cut off from God. But it's like a country within a country. Within Yushalayim, you had the base of Migdash. And this encompassed the entire lives of the people that served there. For example, the Kohanim. They had wear priestly garments. They had special garments. And they ate korbanos. They ate special sacrifices. Every detail of their life was beyond recognition of what was going outside the base of Migdash. Because the base of Migdash was on a higher level than the rest of the world. The same thing by Shabbos. Shabbos, we're supposed to wear different clothes. We eat different food. Everything's supposed to be different. Even if you now, you go to Amsterdam, you go to London, but if you go to the religious section on Shabbos, you would pass through, you would feel something different. The people dress differently, act differently, talk differently. Shabbos. It's like crossing borders into a different country. If all of a sudden you're walking one part of New York and you walk through Brooklyn on Shabbos, you feel like you're in a different country. Chazal tells us your speech on Shabbos should not be like your speech during the week. You're supposed to talk differently. Chazal tells us that the idea of machus, of kingship, is an entire patsuf. It's an entire system. It takes over every detail of the place. The Gemara in Gittin on 80a said that Rome was an improper kingdom. Why? Because Rome did not have its own language. Mustafa had Latin, but that crossed a couple of countries. They didn't have their own language, so they were an improper kingdom. The kingdom has to take over the entire details of the place. And therefore, in the base of Migdash, we had all the details of the Torah happening there. And on Shabbos also. And what was the benefit of this? It was the Makor HaBracha. Shabbos is the blessings of the entire week. The base of Migdash brought the blessings to the entire world. Why? Because they take on all the rules of the heavenly kingdom. And from there comes the blessing. That brings us back to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It doesn't mean just to do tshuva, to repent on one particular detail here and there. No, it means an entire shift in lifestyle. It means a different life plan, different life goals. It means entering into the world of Torah, into the world of Judaism, of Yiddishkeit. It's like going into a new country. And this is what it means to accept the kingdom of heaven on us. We have to accept Malchushemayim, which means every single aspect of our life has to be towards the goal of serving God. It's not just one little particular thing here and there. It's the way we dress, it's the way we eat, it's the way we think, it's the way we look. It's all the details of our life. And that's what brings the blessing for the entire year. Just like by Shabbos and Beis Migdash, same thing. The Rambam explains when he's explaining what it means to accept the kingdom of heaven. Awake from your sleep, from your slumber. Wake up. It's like we're sleeping. We're living in an illusion. We're living in the wrong world. We have to wake up into the world of Torah, the world of mitzvahs, the world of Malchushemaim, of the heavenly kingdom. Because the true world, the world that Hashem wants from us and from the Jews, is a world of Kedusha, holiness, Tahara, purity, Tefillah, prayers, learning. And what's going to come out of that? Ruach HaKodesh, blessings, prophecy, tremendous spiritual levels. And now is the time to do it. Now is the Mekorah Bracha, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And if we do that on Sukkot, we can reach levels of Ruach HaKodesh. When a person is standing before the king, his whole life is focused on the king, on the kingship, on the spreading of the kingship. Because he went into a different world. He left the physical world and went into the world of spirituality. But for most of us, the high holidays are a nightmare. 
Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, how difficult they are, how hard it is to pray, to stay in shul for so long, how can we do it? But that's because we're living in two worlds, so it's difficult. Once a person totally accepts upon himself, the prayers become easy, the time flows by, it becomes enjoyable. Living the religious life is a pleasure. The problem is not how much we learn or how much we pray. The problem is that we're simply living in a different world. This is the time to make the jump into the world of Torah and Yiddishkeit. And this is what's going to bring the blessings for the entire year. The Pasuk in Yishiyahu says a great shofar will be blown. And some of Hashem explain that means, it's talking about Techias HaMesim, at the time of the revival of the dead. The concept is every Jew, Lo'aleinu, has to die and be revived and come back into the world of the living again a second time. What happens? The person dies, completely deteriorates, they're gone, and then they come back. It's the same thing with Rosh Hashanah. It's like we're leaving the physical world and we're going into the spiritual world. And that's what Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is about. That's the tshuva. The tshuva is to enter into a new world. And that's what's going to bring all the success and the blessing into our lives. But there's another aspect of living in God's kingdom. Rav Chatzkel explains like this. The Pasuk says, Assyria will not save us, we will not ride upon horses, and we will no longer say our hands are our gods. For it is with you the orphan finds mercy. Part of living in God's kingdom means that we really believe that God's going to take care of us. The servant of a king is a king. If we're God's servant and we live in God's world and we live in God's castle, so of course God is going to take care of us. That's also part of the tshuva. That's also part of entering into God's world is to realize that our hands are not our gods. We have to admit that God is the king and we're in his kingdom, not in our own world with our own rules and our own hands and everything we have to do ourselves. This is the tshuva we need to do. We have to really admit that it's up to God. Many people, Chosir B'Tshuva, come back to God when? When they reach a point in their life where they become helpless. There's nothing else they can do. At what point? They start to pray. So part of entering into God's world is accepting that He's taking care of us. That's having real faith. So this is the tshuva, the coming back we need to do on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the biggest blessing of the entire year. You're supposed to be happy for Yom Kippur. And if you go in with a full heart, totally, not one foot in and one foot out, so you have an entirely different experience on Yom Kippur. The time will fly by. It'll be a happy experience. It'll be a very spiritual experience. I like to give everybody a blessing that they take this advice and accept upon themselves the old Malchus Shemaim, the kingship of God, and then they'll go in with a full heart and they'll have Makora Bracha, they'll have the blessings for the entire year. And they and their families will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed. Everyone should have a Gemar Chatimat Tova. Here is a powerful The Chafetz Chaim has a wonderful parable. He says like this. One time a man met his friend on the street. He hasn't seen him for a while. He says, how are you doing? He says, I'm not doing so well. I'm very sick. He says, what do you have? He says, I suffer from fever. So his friend says to him, you don't really look like you have fever right now. Well, he says, you know, in a way you're right. I don't have temperature right now. So what are you so worried about? What do you mean you're sick? He says, you know what happens to me? I have no temperature. And all of a sudden, people tell me I get, I get temperature. And then I have to go back to my bed and I'm in pain. It lasts a couple of days, then I get better again. But it keeps coming and going. So even now today that I feel fine, I'm still a sick man. I never know when the temperature is going to come. 
So the Chafetz Chaim explains like this. He says, spiritually speaking, there are some days where we're very healthy. But what happens? Sometimes we slide back. We grow careless. We start doing nonsense. And that means that really our sickness is lying dormant. We never know when the next chance is going to come that's going to flare up. And that's why the Pasuk in Devarim 31.13 says like this, And their children who do not know, they shall hear and they shall learn to fear Hashem, your God, all the days that you live on the land. In other words, God is commanding us that all the time we should be spiritually healthy. Shouldn't be one day like this and one day like that. Rather, we should worship Hashem all of our days and with all of our heart. Rachmana liba boy, Hashem wants our hearts. And this way we'll be spiritually healthy. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. I'm going to tell a story about the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim said that a person should not rely on his children to say Kaddish for him after he leaves this world. The best thing to do is that he should study and learn himself. He should be prepared with his own merits. There's a story like this. One time a very rich man came to the Chafetz Chaim to show him his will. So his financial stay was worth 40,000 rubles. He gave 10,000 rubles to his wife and 30,000 rubles to his children. His other things, he had an extensive library. He gave that to Yeshiva. So the Chavetz Chaim saw the wall and he says, looks at it and he gives it back to him. I want you to look at it again. I think you made a mistake. So the man looks at it. He doesn't understand. Looks fine. Says to the Chavetz Chaim, it appears fine. The Chavetz Chaim says, maybe you should have done it, do it a little bit differently. He said, the yeshiva doesn't really need books. You should, most yeshivas have books. They need money. On the other hand, your children do need books. You should leave books to your children that they should learn. Secondly, I see that you're over on a love. You're over on a negative commandment. It says, and your own flesh and blood do not turn a blind eye. So the Gemara says that a person is related to himself. He said, what about you? Where are you in the picture? Didn't you leave anything for yourself? Aren't you as worthy as one of your sons? So the man says, what do you mean? He says, you should take a portion for yourself and you should divide it. You should give half of it for Torah study to help people learn Torah and half of it to charity to help the poor. This way, it's like you took a portion for yourself. So the man says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So what he did is he took, made five shares and he made it into 8,000 rubles each. So the Chavetz Chaim gave a little, a little bit more advice. He said like this. He said, that's good. But you know what? Your share, you should still give while you're alive. You know why? Because what happens after a person dies? In a will like this, when you start to leave things to charity, the children get all upset. They get lawyers. They don't want to say that you're out of your mind. And it will wind up that the money will never go to charity. This way, you should give it now while you're still alive. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So Rav Nachman Dynamite explains about stigmas and subjectivity in a marriage. He explains that what happens is each person thinks they're totally right. They don't see the fault in their reasoning when it comes to their wives or their husbands. They always set things that it comes out convenient and better for them. He gave an example of one man saying, oh, my wife's family, they're always butting in. She tells them every little detail. She tells them everything. They're ruining my life. So he says back to him, but you told me that you asked your brother about this and you asked your father about that. He said, no, my family don't mix in. They're just offering their opinions. So when it came to himself, he looks at it, his family butting in as just offering their opinions. But when it comes to his wife, no, they're butting in and they're ruining his marriage. He says a famous joke like this. It was once a case where a woman married off both a son and a daughter. So her friend asked her, how are your children doing? He says, oh, my son, he's such a nebuch. He's a slave to his wife. 
He has to bring her every day a tea, glass of tea in bed and warm her clothes on the radiator before she gets dressed. And she says, how's your daughter doing? Wow, she's doing amazing. She's a real success. Every day, our husband brings her a glass of tea to her bed and warms her clothes on the radiator. He brings a real-life example of a mother who had a daughter and a son, same kind of thing. So the daughter's husband used to constantly travel and leave her alone, and she was complaining about how her son-in-law, how he leaves her daughter alone, along with four children all the time. And when it came to us, he says, but, so the, her friend says to her, but doesn't your son also travel? He says, yeah, he travels, but he has eight children. At least his wife is not alone. So you see how crooked people's thinking can be when it comes to their own preferences. Is sometimes a husband and a wife don't see any good quality in the other. So he says it's impossible. How can it be? I don't understand. How can a person not see any good quality in another person? We know, for example, if there's a base team, if there's a court, and they all judge this person should be killed, so we don't kill them. But if one of the judges finds a reason not to kill the guy, then we will kill them because the majority said to kill. There's no way that everybody could be thinking in the same way. So how can it be when it comes to a husband or wife, they have a complete view of them that's absolute and they don't have any space to see their good qualities? So it says what he does when he counsels is he writes down any good qualities that the person said about them during the counseling. And when it comes later and they say, I can't see any good qualities in my wife or my husband, he brings out his notebook and says, yeah, but you said this and this about them. So the question is, what's happening here? Are people liars? You know, it's the answer, no. It's called a stigma. Once a person gets a stigma about somebody else, they cannot see past it. He tells a story about one of his roommates when he was in yeshiva got engaged. And they used to send letters to each other because back then, 40, 50 years ago in Israel, the telephone system was not good. They used to send letters to each other. So he used to complain. He used to feel so bad every time he got a letter, this, this boy. He said, she's so cold. I don't understand how she could write these letters. I'm spending so much time writing letters with such detail. I revise them. I express my emotions. And she's so cold to me in these letters. I don't understand that she felt horrible. So what happened? Everything worked out. They got married. And a year later, they were going to read the letters that they used to send to each other. So the boy said he started to read the letter. He couldn't believe it. He didn't notice the letters were written on such nice stationery. How is it possible I didn't notice that? And, and he started to read them, and he said, oh, they're beautiful letters. She's expressing her emotions. So what was happening at the time? So he explains what was happening at the time was she, he had a feeling about her that she was cold. So every letter that she wrote, he saw the coldness in the letter. But it was not true. Explains like a pickpocket, for example. What does a pickpocket do? He hits you on the shoulder. Uh, you knew feel that, and he pulls the thing out of your pocket. So what happened? You didn't feel your pocket? No, you were focused on your shoulder, so he's able to take something out of your pocket. It wasn't like you lost feeling in your pocket. You had the feeling, but your focus was on the shoulder. The same thing with the stigma. If a person has a stigma about his wife or his husband, he's not going to be able to see beyond that. A person gets stuck in his thinking. He gives an example of his neighbor that had wanted to buy the apartment next door. And he kept thinking about the design of the apartment, and he couldn't figure out how to get into these two rooms. And every time he started to think about those two rooms, he would get stuck and have to go back to the beginning of how the design looked. So he took out a piece of paper and a pen. He wrote it down, and he had it in front of him, and he said, oh, that's really not a problem. So what happened in the thinking process? What happens is you get stuck at a certain point and you go back to the beginning again. Here's another example like this. He was dealing with some boys who had some emotional problems. So he wanted to try to talk to them. So the ones that want to talk, he told them to write it down. Write down what you're feeling. There was one boy who wouldn't even write it down. So he told the boy, listen, you go in that room, lock the door, write it down, read it to yourself, and then rip up the paper nobody will know about it. So he did it. So after that, the boy was able to talk. 
that what happened? Once the boy wrote it down on paper, read it out to himself, and realized, what's the big deal of this problem that I'm having? This emotional problem is much smaller than I thought it was. Is this the whole thing? Why should I be so broken if this thing is smaller than I thought it was? So a lot of fixing up the marriage and fixing up the relationship is to try to break through the stigma. Try to see the other person really for who they are and focus on their good points and bring light to those good points. And what will happen is somebody thinks he has tremendous problem in his marriage. If you bring light to it, you'll see that it's not such a big problem. Chazal tells us just a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends. And everybody should have a Gamar Khatimat Toha. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 